Um, I'm going to be going to 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 6. But before that, Ephraim wanted, wanted to hear something funny that happened this week. Right, Ephraim? I happened to be at, a, at another church in, in the pastor's office, and the, the church secretary was sitting there, and the phone rang. And a guy called on the phone. He said, can I speak to the head hog of the farm? She said, the head hog? You calling the pastor a hog? He's a mighty, precious man of God. We love him here. You have to be more respectful. And then the guy says, well, I'm planning to give $100,000 to the church. So the secretary says, wait a minute, I see the old pig coming in now. <laughs> you know, that's just the things that happen, you know, as they go around to him. That's because they got that camera. I played to the camera. That's what it is, Bert. <laughs> so 1 Corinthians chapter 2, starting in verse 6, it says, We do, however, speak a message of wisdom among the mature, but not the wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age who are coming to nothing. No, we declare God's wisdom, a mystery that has been hidden and that God destined for our glory before time began. None of the rulers of this age understood it, for if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. Now I'm skipping all the way down to verse 19. But the natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, nor can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. What those scriptures are saying is that if you don't have the Spirit of God in you, everything I'm going to say now, everything in the Bible and the Word of God is all nonsense, is foolishness. All those politicians and all the celebrities that come on TV and start criticizing the Word of God. Oh, those people are bigots. They're prejudiced. They're narrow-minded. They don't understand the, the love in the Word of God because they don't have the Spirit of God. You see, God has hidden His Word from those whose hearts are hard, but for those whose hearts are open and hungry. You know what it says? God has mysteries to show you. When, when the Old Testament was written, it tells all about what would come with Jesus. It tells all about all our future. Everything that's happening now on the earth, you could find hidden in the Old Testament. And it was only to be revealed later in the, in the New Testament. But what does the Word say? If people understood what they were doing, they never would have killed Jesus. Because they killed Jesus, and look around. There's 300 Jesuses sitting right here, ready to do the same stuff. Filled with the same Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead is living in you. And he said, even greater works will you do than I did if you believe. 
See, their plan of the enemy didn't work too well because even the enemy cannot understand the things of God. Before I was a Christian, I used to go to this one church every week because it was, they used to use jazz music for all their music. And just for the music, I used to go. And every week, I'd take out the Bible, try to read it. This is ridiculous. I don't even know what they're talking about. I just put it right back. Anyone else here, before you, you receive Jesus, you try to read the Word, it's all... This doesn't make... This story is a guy in a boat with animals floating for 40 days. That's foolishness. Giving your hard-earned money to the Lord, that, that's crazy. See, the things of God make no sense unless you've got the Spirit of God in you. But when the night when I received Jesus, that very night I went home, I opened the Bible, and all of a sudden the words jumped off the page. And I began to see with spiritual eyes. If you don't have spiritual eyes, whatever you hear here today, it's not going to make a bit of sense to you. You see, the Bible's all about sacrificial love, laying down your life. The world can't understand that message. It's far into this world. So the things that are about Jesus are all hidden in the Old Testament. And that's what I want to do now. I want to show you a mystery. How many of you like mysteries? Well, we're going to show you right now a mystery of how everything that Jesus did is hidden in the Old Testament because yesterday Jewish people all around the world celebrated the most holiest day called in Hebrew Yom Kippur, translated to English means the Day of Atonement. What does atonement mean? mean? The day for God to forgive the sins of the people. And I'm going to tell you that Old Testament story. And if you've got spiritual ears, you're going to see Jesus come alive because he's hidden. He's mysterious in the Old Testament. But he's fully revealed to those who have a heart for God, for those who love the Word. You see, before the Day of Atonement, which the Jewish people celebrated yesterday, and it's written in the Bible in Leviticus chapter 16, leading up to that day were ten days called the Days of Awe. And those are the most holiest days of the year to the Jewish people because they believe that in those ten days, heaven is open and God will hear you. He'll listen to you over those ten days. And if you do a lot of good things over those ten days, maybe God will choose to forgive your sins and give you a good year. And then on the actual day of atonement in the synagogue, you know what the Jewish people try to do? They try to make themselves suffer in order to, in order to get forgiveness for their sins. They fast for the day. They wear uncomfortable shoes. They stand up for hours. They can't wash their face. And, and while they're praying, they beat themselves. God, I'm sorry. 
I'm sorry for my sin. I want to tell you, if you're a child of God, stop beating yourself. So many of you, you're filled with regrets and condemnation and guilt from the past. The reality is that you can't pay for your own sin. Jesus paid it all. We need to continually come to God every time we sin and confess our sins. But you can't punish yourself to gain God's love. I don't care how bad the thing is that you feel that you did. You can't pay the price for it, no matter how hard you try. Because the price has already been paid. You have a God that fully accepts you right now. Even in the middle of your mess, God's not going to love you anymore next week on the one week where you got it all together. Not because of you, but because Jesus paid the penalty for your sin. Because you know what, you know what the, in the Old Testament, you know what it says? It, the only way to pay for sin is death. Because, see, God is a God of love. That's my favorite message in the whole world. Everywhere I go, well, I hope that's always what I want to talk about. God is love. He loves you. He accepts you. But he's also a righteous judge. And he can't just overlook sin and rebellion. So the only way that God could deal with mankind was through death. Because he set laws and every single person broke the laws that God gave. Every one of you. Billy Graham, I I don't care who, the most famous preachers in the world have broken God's laws. And every one of us deserve death. You don't deserve to be punished for your sin. That's not what the Bible says. You know what they did in the Old Testament? If a teenager was disobedient to his parents, you think they sent him to bed without the computer? They take him outside the gates of the city, and if he was found guilty, they would stone him to death. Why? Because in God's order and justice, the wages of sin is death. Every one of us deserve to die because every one of us, we've turned from God. We've failed him. From the pastors to, to the person who just walked in the door. So what did Jesus do? He paid the penalty. He died in your place so that you don't have to. He he took the cost. He paid the price. He said, I don't want that. I don't want you to be destroyed. And he hung on the cross in your place. You have forgiveness of sins. You can't you better stop beating yourself up. It's not going to make you holy. It's going to drive you further away from God. So I'm I'm going to come to Leviticus chapter 16, starting in verse 7. And this is the Old Testament mystery. It's a story about goats. And if you don't have the Spirit of God, you could read this all day and say, Wow, this is boring. What does this have to do with me? This story about goats... If you've got ears that can hear, has everything to do with your life right here today. 
Leviticus 16, verse 7, is talking about the high priest. Back in the Old Testament times. On this day of atonement, this holy day, he is to take the high priest is to take two goats and present them before the Lord at the entrance to the tent of meeting. He is to cast lots for the two goats, one lot for the Lord and the other for the scapegoat. Aaron, who is the high priest, shall bring the goat whose lot falls to the Lord and sacrifice it for a sin offering. But the goat chosen by Lot as the scapegoat shall be presented alive before the Lord to be used for making atonement by sending it into the desert as a scapegoat. Now, if you sit and read this, you say, this stuff is whack. A lot of goats and this is boring. Who knows? I don't know what they're talking about. Why? Because it's hidden. Jesus is hidden. Do you know that those two goats I just talked about fully describes everything that Jesus did for you? First of all, it said take two goats. One goat was to die, and the other goat was to live. They said draw lots to decide. That's sort of, here, take two straws, and the short straw dies. You know what I mean? Do you know that happened to Jesus? They came to the people before he died, and they said, Jesus or Barabbas? And who they chose? They chose Jesus to be, the, to be the one who would die. One more scripture. I'm going down to verse 20. And I'm going to talk about that goat that, that died, but first I want to talk about this goat called the scapegoat. When Aaron the high priest has make, finished making atonement for the most holy place, the tent of meeting and the altar, he shall bring forward the live goat. He is to lay both hands on the head of the live goat and confess over it all the wickedness and rebellion of the Israelites, all their sins, and put them on the goat's head. He shall send the goat away into the desert in the care of a man appointed to the task. The goat will carry on itself all their sins to a solitary place, and the man shall release it in the desert. Whether you know it or not, this is powerful, life-changing, that goat, that scapegoat. We still use that word today, right, scapegoat? Who is the scapegoat? He's the guy that takes the blame for every, what everybody else did. Ever happened to you at work? You're always the scapegoat. People mess up and they come to you. Uh, a scapegoat is a person who's innocent but ends up getting accused of the crime or the sin. And God told the high priest to take that goat Lay your hands on the goat, on the head, and begin to confess your sins and the sins of the people. And when he did that, somehow, supernaturally, all the sins that the people committed were taken away from them and placed on the goat. And they would take that goat and send them away with the people's sins, and the people were forgiven. 
Do you know that that's what Jesus did for you? Every sin that you've ever committed, God put it on Jesus and sent him away outside the camp. Every wrong thing, every act of rebellion, everything that's hateful in you, God took it off you because Jesus is that scapegoat. He took the blame for your sins. And that's why you can come before God as sinless. Your position before God is called justification. That's a fancy word, which means it's just as if you never sinned. God God knows. He knows what you're doing. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm not talking about the day-to-day sins. What I'm saying, when you come in His presence, He sees you as holy and accepted. You are a holy man or woman of God because God took the sins off of you and put it on that goat, which is symbolic of Jesus. He's, it's hidden. And I'm going to show you how, how Jesus further became the scapegoat. What did I say? That the high priest had to lay his hand on the goat and impart the sins. Who did Jesus stand before the night before he died? He stood before the high priest. And the high priest would have to lay hands on the goat. And you know what the high priest did to Jesus? He slapped him. He said, you blasphemer, you liar, you imposter. And as he did that, it wasn't Jesus who was the liar, the blasphemer, and the pastor. It was the high priest and the people of Israel. He actually laid hands on Jesus as a scapegoat and, and in accusing Jesus, confessed his own sins and the sins of the people. See, in order to fulfill being this goat, the scapegoat, it had to happen in real life. This isn't just something made up. It had to occur, and the night before he died, Jesus stood before the high priest, and they laid hands and said they slapped him on the head, and they accused him. And in their accusations, all of their sins were imparted unto Jesus. But Jesus didn't die just for the Jews. They sent him to the Romans, the non-Jews. And they also laid hands on him and mocked him and called him names because Jesus died for the sins not only of the Jews but of the Gentiles. Gentile means someone who's not Jewish. And on that night before he died, he fulfilled that picture The sins of all the people through the high priest were given to Jesus, and he paid the price for for what they did. It's not fair. It's not right. But that's what real love looks like. Real love, the love of God means I'm willing to pay the price that's coming to you. I'm willing to lay down my life for you. I'm willing to die for you because I love you so much. That's foolishness to the world. But in the kingdom of God, that's what it's all about. 
It's about a love that, that I'm going to put other people first before me. I'm not going to raise myself up. I'm going to serve. That's the love of God. And that's who Jesus was. And to the world, that's the most foolish, stupid thing they ever heard. No, it, if you want to be important, you've got to be served. Other people got got to do stuff for you. But the heart of God is that there's no greater love than to lay down your life for your brother. But there was also a second goat, the one who, who when they chose the lot, that goat, he was chosen to die. And Jesus all also fulfilled the, the picture. Or oh, here's a, another fancy word. You know, we call these types, Old Testament types. A type is a picture from the Old Testament that teaches something real in the New Testament. Like this picture of a, a dead goat. That's all about Jesus. Because on this day of atonement in the Old Testament... They came to a building called the temple. And inside the temple was a very special room. And it was called the Holy of Holies. And that's the place where, where God lived in His glory. You think it back then it was not like now? Today, I can wake up 3 o'clock in the morning and I can begin to worship and come into the presence of God. It wasn't that way in the Old Testament. If you wanted to meet with God, you couldn't do it yourself. You had to go to a high priest and the high priest would come into the Holy of Holies to meet with God. And he couldn't even look. They had to use smoke and incense because you can't. He couldn't even look at the holiness of God. That, that's how God, holy God is. God said, "If anyone looks at me, they'll die." And the high priest could only go into that room where God lived. Where he, not that. It, it, what it means is God chose to live there. He fills the heavens and the earth. But he said, this is the one place I'll meet with you is in this little room. And if you come in, you got to bring the blood. He couldn't come in without killing the goat and taking the blood and putting it on the altar for forgiveness of sins. That's a picture of the blood of Jesus. You can't come to God without the blood of Jesus. I, that's why people say, I, I was watching a show on TV, they said, all roads lead to God. You don't need Jesus. You can go through Buddha, Muhammad. If you go, you're going with all your sins. You can't stand in the presence of God without forgiveness. The Bible only gives one way for your sin to get forgiven. It's in the blood. And the blood of that goat symbolizes the blood of Jesus that brings forgiveness because Jesus died. You are forgiven. You are loved. You are a child of God. And they took the blood. He came into the Holy of Holies. You couldn't just come in any time. There was a curtain there. And if the high priest came in and he didn't do it right, if there was sin in his life, 
he had bells on his on the bottom of his robe. When they heard the bell stop ringing, it means he's dead. Let's pull him out. And you couldn't go in and pull him out. There was no way into God. But here's the good news. When Jesus died on the cross, that veil was broken in two that separated, the, the, that kept people out of the presence of God. And do you know, because that veil was broken in two, you, you have access to the throne room of God any time you could come into His presence. You don't have to wait to get to church. You, you wake up in, in the middle of the night, you're, you're at your work, people are oppressing you, people are arguing with you. You could stop what you're doing and come right into the Holy of Holies. Because here's the secret. Let me tell you another mystery. You know what the mystery of the gospel is? The mystery of the gospel is Christ in you. You've got the Holy Spirit living inside of you, and you are now the temple of God. He lives in you. He doesn't live in that building made by man anymore. That veil was split. And the way, the way was made in because that high priest, he was just a man. He was a sinful man. But now you have a greater high priest and his name is Jesus. He's the one that prays for you. You don't have to go to any man or priest to confess your sins. There's nobody standing anymore between you and God because you are, you have a friend in heaven. And whenever you sin, you just go right to Jesus. He's your advocate. He's your lawyer. He is your high priest. And he, went, he didn't go into a building. He went into the real holy of holies in heaven by his blood. And because he went in, you can go in. The Bible says come boldly into the throne room of grace. Whatever you need of God, whenever you want his presence, all you got to do is step in because your high priest lives in heaven. And he's on your side. He loves you. I, I just want to tell you a little bit more about that veil that separated the Holy of Holies from the rest of the temple. You know what was woven into, the, into that veil were pictures of cherubim. And inside the Holy of Holies, there were these two statues of cherubim. Do you know what cherubim are? They're, they're warring guardian angels of, of the presence and the glory of God. I hope none of you got those pictures in your house where, uh, where you ever see those pictures. It says cherubim, and they have these little naked babies with wings floating around. What kind, of, what kind of blasphemy is that? I'm talking about mighty angels. War, angels that don't put up with the garbage on earth. These are not babies. 
You see how the world wants to influence your picture of the power of God? If you got those pictures, get them out. I'm not saying that as a religious thing. It's gonna. I want you to when when you think of God, you think of mighty warring angels that are on your side, surrounding you. Now, why were those cherubim woven into the veil? Where do we find cherubim in the Bible? Well, some of you were here. A lot of you were here when we went through the book of Genesis. So you know where, in ending, I'm going to go back now to the Garden of Eden. And that's where we find the cherubim, the warring angels. Remember that the Garden of Eden was a place of abundance. It was, do you think that the world, the way it is now, is what God meant for us? This is not what God created, what you see out there. Oh, with all the, the hurricanes and the tornadoes and the evil and the death and the wickedness and poverty. That was not what God created for his people. He created a paradise called the Garden of Eden where everything you need was provided. That all, everything you did was easy. But one day... Adam and Eve, who God created, they sinned. They rebelled against God. Remember when Eve ate the apple? And, and then they kicked, them, they kicked them out of their home. Eve ate Adam out of house and home, even. You know that? You know that Eve came, to the first woman who was made, and Adam was the first man. And Eve went to Adam and said, do you love me? And Adam said, who else? <laughs> hey, Bert, I wish I was Adam because no one ever heard his jokes before. I'd be doing much better up here. <laughs> but Adam and Eve, they lived in a place of paradise. Can you picture that? Can you imagine that when you go to work in the morning, you don't have all the angry people, all the problem, all the striving. You don't have to worry about bills. You don't have to even worry about your relationship with God because God walked with them in the cool of the evening. They lived with God. They were clothed with the glory of God. That, that's, that's, what God that's how God created us. That was his plan. Why are we living in this messed up world? Because when Adam and Eve sinned, God brought judgment against their sin. Remember, God is a righteous judge. And he said, you know what he did because of their sin? He put a curse on this world. We live in a cursed world right now. And God said, from now on, it's going to be by the sweat of your brow that you work. It's not going to be easy anymore. And he put thorns and thistles in the garden and made work hard. And he took his presence away. He couldn't walk anymore with Adam and Eve because of their sin. Because God can't be in the presence of sin. There was great judgment. And then he kicked them out of the place of paradise. And you know what he put right outside the door? Cherubim. The guardian warrior angels. And he gave them a flaming sword and said, you can't come back in here because you're a sinner. 
and they kicked them out and kept them out. Now let's go back to the Day of Atonement. What did I say was woven into the into the fabric of of the veil that was torn, cherubim. And when that veil was torn, the cherubim was split apart, and the way is made back into the Garden of Eden. God made the way back. Those cherubim with the flaming swords that keep you away from the prosperity of God, from the presence of God, from joy, from peace, they have been removed from your life. And the curse has been broken. What did, I, what did God say? Cursed is the ground because of you. And, and he said, by the sweat of your brow. You know what Jesus did? He sweat drops of blood in the garden of Gethsemane. In the garden. Man, man, man sinned in the garden, and Jesus was obedient in the garden. And when the blood came from his brow, he sweat, and the curse was broken off of you. And, and God placed thorns on the earth, representing the hardness of life. What did they do to Jesus? They made a crown of thorns and they put it on his head and he was bleeding. That curse is broken off of your life. That, that harshness is gone because of what Jesus did for you. You see, every 50 years on the Day of Atonement came a special holiday, and it was called Jubilee. And do you know what happened on the Day of Jubilee? Debts were wiped out. In one day, debts wiped out. Families were brought back together. Those who lost their inheritance had their inheritance restored. You know, that happened to me. I told this before, but my father left when I was young and, and remarried and became rich. And I stayed with my mother who, who went on welfare and had nothing. And, and one day when my father died, you know what happened to you know what happened to the money? Ninety percent of it. It went to his second wife's kids. I lost my inheritance, but I'm believing God for Jubilee that He's restoring every penny back. And the day of Jubilee, there was a trumpet call that brought freedom to the people. And prophetically, it's speaking about a time when Jesus comes back and he's going to restore the earth. And we're going to live again in the Garden of Eden. We're going to walk with Jesus. No more sickness. No more pain. Every need provided. No more angry, bitter people to face every day. And that's coming in the return of Jesus. But let me tell you good news. I'm not waiting. I'm not waiting to get to heaven to live in God's glory, to live in His prosperity. He already paid the price. It's Jubilee. Jesus is our Jubilee. 
I'm going to live right now in God's prosperity. I'm going to live in God's restoration right now. He paid the price. The veil has already been split. Those cherubim are separated. I'm coming back to the Garden of Eden. I'm going to walk with God every day of my life. I'm going to live in the overflow of the abundance of heaven. Those storms, those thistles, those hindrances are gone. And I'm going to ask Lee to come out wherever she is back. <laughs> you see, this is not a pie-in-the-sky religion like they used to teach or they still teach. When I go down south, all they tell you, oh, well, one day you'll die and go to heaven, but right now don't expect to have anything. Just expect the devil to step all over you. When Jesus died on the cross, the devil was defeated. He has no power over you right now. Right now. Stop looking to go to heaven. Stop saying, well, one day, someday. If you can see it right now, you can have it. If you could see the abundance, if you could see the prosperity right now, you can take it. You can access it. Jubilee is not about a special day, a special year. Jesus is our jubilee. We can live debt free. I'm going to ask everyone to stand right now and just just let Lee minister to you in song.
Amen. We're going to do something right now. And afterward, I want those in the, who are in the ministry team to get ready to come quickly. But on the day of Jubilee, what did God say? He said to blow the trumpet. And at the sounding of the trumpet, it would initiate Jubilee. And at that moment, whatever you owed, you didn't owe it anymore. If you lost your kids... They were brought back on that day. There was freedom, restoration. And we're going to blow that trumpet over every one of you right now. Whatever you're going through, God's going to bring restoration in your life. He's going to restore your family. He's going to restore your marriage. He's going to cancel debt. He's a big God. I'm not, I'm not waiting thousands of years. I, I don't know when it's going to happen and when Jesus is coming back. It could be today. It could be a thousand years. I want it now. I believe it now. If you believe it now, you can have it. So we're going to blow that trumpet, and, and then Alice is going to make a proclamation over you in prayer. And after that, I want you to begin to come up with your family, if you're here with a family, wait till, wait till after. But I want fa- whole families to come up together because we're going we're gonna to break the power of lack over your life. We, we're going to break every hindrance in your family, every division, whether it's in your marriage and your business and your finances. If you weren't doing good in school, we're going to release the wisdom of God over you. You see, 1 Corinthians 2.9 says, What no eye has seen, what no ear has heard, and what no human mind has conceived, the things that God has prepared for those who love him. There's a God. He's got great things in store for you. Not only when you die, not when he comes back. Starting today. I'm believing today. I'm believing that next Sunday is going to be testimony day. That I'm going to hear about supernatural debt cancellation. Unexpected checks in the mail. I'm going to believe to hear about marriages being restored. Children being, being reconciled with parents. How many of you believe that? So Dave is going to blow the trumpet, and that's going to set in motion things in the realm of the Spirit that's going to release victory over your life. Excuse me. God. Lord, I proclaim, Lord, and I stand firm on all your promises, dear Lord. Lord, I receive and I take that which is mine, dear God. All that Satan has taken away from me, dear God, I take it back. I claim my family. I claim back 
my job. I claim back my finances, dear God. I claim back all that is mine, dear Lord. For I serve a faithful God, dear God. A God that supplies. A God that heals, dear God. Right now, dear Lord, I proclaim restoration. Financial, physical, spiritual, mental. In the name of Jesus, I proclaim restoration on families, on jobs, on finances, dear God. I proclaim, dear God, that your spirit, dear God, will just pour upon your people, dear God. And you will restore it all, dear Lord, in the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. Amen. So we're going to need more leaders. We need the worship team to help pray. Because this isn't a call where I'm going to sit and beg people to come. I want every person, every family member to come. We're going to agree with you in prayer that the new season that was sung about before and during the worship is coming on your home, is coming on your marriage and your finances. And before everyone leaves, I just wanted to remind you that right after church we have prophetic ministry here in the back. So if you want to hear a message from God for your life, we have people who hear from God and will tell you what we believe God has to say to you. If you need healing in your body, if you're sick, or you know someone who's sick, that's part of Jubilee. No work of the enemy is going to stand against you. We have the healing team right here on my right. If you need healing in your body, you come to them, and God's going to release miracles. So just come forth right now. Bring your kids. Bring your family. Those who are praying, I'm going to ask that you don't do long prayers. If the ushers can help us to form lines and to release...